Hello, listening people. Hello. You're listening to Spit and Polish Presents. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Slowinski. And I'm Bartek. Hi, Bartek. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm doing very well. Well, I was going to say very well, but then I remembered the movie we watched and I'm not feeling great, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to say walk in and be like, yeah, I'm feeling fantastic. We're technically out of lockdown, but we're still locked in. And I watched The Hunt. Yay! So that's how I'm doing. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing good. I just woke up. See, Bartek's doing great. He just woke up, had a great old time. So we are spin Polish cycling because we're always spitting. We both happen to be Polish, and that is very important when listening to our podcast. Always remember that we are of Polish descent. Uh, Bartek has obviously a very obvious Polish name with Bartek, and I have a very obvious one with Ryan. So just keep that in mind. Uh, Bartek... What's what's happening here? What's our show? What's the what's the pitch of this for newbies, for the Danes, for the for for the noobs? Um, Pictures Powwow is our show where we discuss a single film in each episode. Um, with each episode, uh, it's part of a three episode cycle. Where in the first episode, I'll recommend a film. In the next, you'll recommend a film, and then on the third week. Um, uh, we get listening choice, listener's choice. Listening people's choice, dare I say. And in this week, we are doing a film that I recommended. And what did you recommend? For those who can't read the title, or if you want to be bold and try to say it in Danish, go. Yes, for those who can't read or who didn't hear Ryan talk about it a few minutes ago, um, we did 2012's The Hunt. Different to the American film called The Hunt with, uh, Betty Giplin which was kind of a weird uh, horror comedy. This is a Danish film uh, from, yeah, 2012. Uh, uh, Bartek, how would, you, how would you describe the plot for those who are interested? We will be talking about spoilers, but Bartek, could you at least pitch the movie first? This was your choice. Sure. So this is a 2012 drama film from Denmark. Um, it is about a kindergarten teacher who is... Um, falsely accused of sexually abusing a child, um, and the the rumors and paranoia that uh, come about of that, and make his situation and the accusations against him much worse. And it's basically everything spiraling out of control and having this uh, nice gentleman, uh, his life kind of you know get destroyed. That's the film, and we'll be talking about it. Spoilers and all, so if you have not watched it, definitely do. It is not a light and easy movie. You will feel feel feelings, which I love doing. So there you go, you've been warned. Bartek, you recommended this, so tell us what's your history with this, and uh, why did you recommend it? So my history with this is that I saw this film in cinemas, I think, in 2013, the year after it came out. Um, saw it with my mum and we really, really enjoyed it in, in the sense that like it was a powerful film that made us, as you say, feel feelings. Um, and I had not seen the film since, you know, eight years ago when I saw it that first time and I was always keen to check it out again. It was always one that for my, uh, recommendations for this podcast was always going to be one. 
Um, it was just a matter of like, oh, when should I do it? I understand. I don't remember exactly when I first gave this a watching, but I remember it wasn't straight after. I didn't see it in the cinema like you. And I remember it was a difficult thing to find a good copy of it with active subtitles that actually worked. Uh, I remember really liking the film. I remember it made me miserable, and I found the pitch to be very uh, enticing. You know, it's a very stark, serious, gritty, like, what a pitch for a movie, right? Like, just that idea as well of an innocent man being accused of something, falsely accused is always a narrative we've seen, but this is a specific type of accusation that carries a lot of weight and something that you can't just uh, easily wash off at the end of the film, and the film proves that that isn't the case either. Uh, I remembered enjoying it. I remember seeing this... And being a little bit like, whoa, this guy can act. Our lead guy, um, Mus Mickelson, he can act uh, in a way that I mean of a more grounded, naturalistic performance. Because I was used to him at the time being Hannibal Lecter. And that's a very different type of role to this. This, he plays a human. In that, he plays a monster. And we've had him on the podcast and in a movie where he was playing a mustache-twirling bad guy. And he's been a literal Bond villain as well. So it was always very confronting to me when I first watched it. And when I watched it for this, to see him play a regular man. I don't know if you have that kind of feeling about that at all either. Or how often you've seen him in other roles. I think when I had seen this film, I had already seen Casino Royale and The Three Musketeers, um, but it had been a while since I'd seen them and I didn't really remember Mads Mikkelsen. Um, but definitely after I saw the film, I looked him up a bit more, realised, you know, I saw him in those two things, and I found a, I think it was a comic that someone from Denmark had made, which was basically like a two-panel thing of like, um, the first panel is what we think of Mads Mikkelsen here in Denmark, and it's like showing a bunch of uh, wacky things that he's done in his films. It's like he was a butcher in this one film who kills people and sells their meat, but it was a lighthearted comedy or something like that. And then in the second panel, it's like, what do we think of him in, you know, uh, uh, America? And it was just like this stereotypical evil looking guy that like, you know, he's wearing like this Nazi-looking suit. He's got a scar on his uh, on his eye. Yeah, things like he's that. Casino Royale character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he's just this really sinister kind of guy. Different performances and expectations from Denmark and the West. I think one of the jokes that I've heard about Danish humor is Den- Denmark uh, comedies. They know laughing matter. Um, that's that's a statement I've heard about them. Uh, but before we delve into him and all of that, how was it revisiting the film after all of this time? It was really interesting. Yeah, I I seem to remember the film being much longer. Like the, I, I guess maybe maybe my memories of watching it the first time, it just felt like there was so much suffering going on that it was this really long journey of all these like twists and turns that. Um, you didn't see coming, but then rewatching it last night, it, it felt much shorter than I remembered. Yeah, you knew where it was going in a lot of ways, so it made it a little bit easier to consume the overwhelming mm. sense of misery. Yeah, it made it feel a lot more concise, a um, lot more you know key points to hit. Yeah, yeah. And they were just being hit, and it was going along. 
Yeah, I watched it with my wife Rachel, who hadn't seen it, uh, enjoyed it. Well, enjoy. Uh, here's how I would describe this. I, I'm not a sensitive movie viewer. You know this, Bartek. Um, I'm not very... Uh, I don't flinch very easily with movies, but this is what I think the first real movie we've done on the podcast that I would say I fucking hated watching this, but in a good way. Like, like... I was miserable, I felt terrible, I was angry and frustrated, I did not enjoy myself at all, but that's the point. Like, it's a great Mm -hmm. film that I do not want to watch again, but I will, because of the, the, the idea of it, and just how miserable it is, but it isn't... Like, it's a well-made movie, well-acted, it's it's great, and I enjoyed it, but do you know what I'm saying there? Like, there were so many times when I was watching this, I just went, I just, I don't want to fucking watch this, because it's just yeah, so, so, so much. So, in other words, this film is, like, uh, no discussion, not for some people who aren't into that kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, I, I'm, I don't flinch easily, but this made me flinch quite a lot. I was... I was like, is this needlessly cruel? And then I was like, no, no, it isn't. I'm just I'm just feeling the weight of it so strongly. It's just such an oppressive film in a lot of ways. And yeah, it made me very upset, which is the point. And yeah, but it's the first film I think we've done on the pod in at least a very long time in which I've felt such a strong reaction in where it's the contradiction of terms where my reaction was very, very, very strongly negative, but I walked away with a positive experience. I like the film very much. I, I really do. I think it's really well made. I enjoy, you know, enjoy. I, I appreciate it very much and I will want to watch it again. It's a, I think it's a almost a masterpiece in a lot of ways. There's some issues I have with it. But, uh, but yes, that juxtaposition of those two contrasting things of extreme disdain, hate, and annoyance with the film and like depressive feeling, but absolutely adored it, loved it, would want to see it again. And there's very few films that I actually have that feeling with. Yeah, it's a film that succeeded in what it wanted to do, which was, you know, not positive feelings. Yes, yes, exactly. And every moment you think, oh, there's a little bit of hope here, then it would crush that hope and throw it in the bin and remind you, no, the good times are over now. The age of innocence is gone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> True, yeah. But even in the in the ending where things are kind of looking a little bit up before, you know, you realize, oh, it's still pretty down. The little bits of up they showed were a little more than you'd expect, I suppose. And there was still an underlying tension there. Um, yeah, the whole point of that ending was like, oh, things are looking up, but they're not. And I was just saying that the looking up part is a bit more than you'd expect. You'd expect, you know, things to have been a bit worse. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really weird kind of balance, really unsettling. Yeah, and even before the hunting scene, you had the scene where he talked to Clara in the hallway where she's like, I can't walk over all these lines. And there was just an, a massive amount of tension in that interaction there as well. Because this is the this is the cause of the trouble all along, and how's he going to handle this? And he shows that he's still a good good man, a good guy. He's a guy, Bartek. He's a guy. <laughs> he's trying to be a guy. Uh, he's just trying to be a guy, Bartek. A he's good to be a guy. <laughs> a good man. 
So let's rewind. We're kind of jumping to the end before we get there. We need to actually talk about the experience of the movie and its filmmaking and acting and quality of it. I was really blown away at the very start of the movie with how it was uh, shot and the color of it. It was very stark, very, uh, uh, very high contrast in a lot of ways and the color palette was already kind of muted at the beginning of the film and that could just be because of the danish landscape as well but it, it even though nice things were happening visually there was an undercurrent of something's going to go wrong here or there's something underneath all of this i don't know if you felt similar to me or not but uh, that's how i kind of uh, walked in i was like ooh, there's not not overwhelmingly but just a minor amount of in the visual. Yeah, they, they had that very cloudy winter feel. Um, and, and definitely a lot of the scenes where it was the adults talking to each other, they were a bit more, um, I guess, sort of upbeat because, you know, it's kind of friends hanging out with each other, people that know each other. Um, but then when it comes to the interactions with, like, our main character and the children, uh when they're playing, obviously there is an upbeatness to it, but during like conversations between the main character and Clara, there is this kind of like, I guess, sort of down energy. Going yeah. On. And like when he's walking towards the school and he like notices that the kids are hiding, there's like, oh, we, the audience still don't quite know what's happening yet, but it, it does feel like, yeah, it, it doesn't quite suggest that like, oh, something upbeat's about to happen. No, there is an underlying pinning of a sinister nature to the proceedings that will happen. I liked his relationship with Clara, though. Uh, she, they had a good connection. They seemed like a a really well-realized and very honest portrayal of an adult who's a friend of the parent of the kid, and the kid just like being kind of infatuated with them, but just also being their friend, and that that dynamic of them on their, them walking home and walking with the dog, and all of that, and then her being a student and stuff was was really well done. I thought that uh, for a child actor speaking in a different language to my own, that she did a really good job of communicating to me that her. And uh, Lucas in the film were friendly and had a dynamic together of, you know, the child who's somewhat in love with this adult figure. I thought it was uh, really well done. And um, but I also hated her throughout the movie because all of the shit she did. She <laughs> she really captured me. You know, like we were talking about uh, Mars Mickelson, but she really, really got me on this watching of it. I I was feeling bad for her at many moments, but I also hated her at many moments. And then I also was just reminded that this is a child throughout the whole entire affair. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the adults around her. They they did not do their jobs. <laughs> no, 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 no. They believe the child uh, straight off the bat, which I find a very foreign concept in my world. I think, I don't know if it's a Danish thing or what, or maybe you can speak to this a bit differently to myself, because also you are a teacher yourself. But the rule of thumb of believe the child first and the adult second... Uh, uh, was very, very bizarre to me, uh, I'll say. Maybe, maybe it's because it was like a kindergarten thing. I don't know. Those are the ones I would trust the least. 
kids' wives because <laughs> they're liars. <laughs> they're I mean, very much like they don't. Kids don't lie. I'm like, yes, they do. They're bastards. Well, with with this film, um, the first time something is mentioned, it is in that you know she's in like that dark room, that that very very upbeat looking room at an upbeat time of day. Um, she makes the accusation and it makes that principal lady, you know, raise her eyebrow, but not quite believe it yet. But then with the second scene where she brings in that guy, I was going to call him an expert, but I think the whole thing was that he was not quite an expert. He was just a, he was just a guy. He was just a guy. He was yeah. just being a guy. Um, the way he questioned her and, you know, I can, I can speak to this and your wife Rachel can speak to this when it comes to like mandatory reporting and how you ask kids questions. Um, and probably, you know what, even people in, uh, you know, like lawyers could probably tell you this too. The way he was asking questions was uh, not right. He, he was asking too many leading questions. He was trying to prompt very specific things out of her. There was there were points where she was denying things, and ironically, they were not believing the child. They were trying to get her to say what they were expecting. So they they kind of led the events that came to happen. Yeah, and that will be a recurring issue throughout the movie: is the adults leading these events? Because also, you understand why though when this issue is brought up that you know at one point the child said hey basically my my uh teacher molested me you of course are going to take that and be uh, whoa it's a lot of information it's very heavy stuff and so i do understand it is he did lead her in questions but he's brought in to find out if she's been abused or not and children can be as we see in the movie very flaky in that regard of sticking to a story, especially if they are abused and they don't want to, you know, and the movie delves into how tricky it all is on all sides. And well, the one we're focusing on is of the man who's innocent throughout this whole entire proceedings, but nobody believes him. And the only person who believes him really is the only one who's actually actively helping him is, uh, his best friend, right? One of his good friend, one of his good friends, who's the godfather to his own to the son. Uh, he believes him. I like that. That 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 was a touch there. That the, the best friend, oh well, his good friend was the only one who believed him. Uh, it was a nice little wrinkle in the story. Yeah, I'd forgotten about that. So when when you know that character was introduced as like being the one that's on his side, I was like, "Oh, I don't remember this guy. I think that means that he's going to turn on him pretty soon." But no, it didn't happen. No, it could have been so easy for if there was a hack hack American screenwriter, they would have made it that he had a secret agenda or he was actually the pedophile all along and all of that kind of shit. Like, could you imagine that? So when you said American script and hack secret agenda, just like it's it's making me laugh because it's like oh god this film has a very kind of realistic edge to it and you know that kind of like fictional hollywood storytelling just like it feels very foreign you don't want a zack snyder version of the hunt <laughs> i don't even know what that would look like <laughs> uh it would look very desaturated uh, well, that's what it would look like vi- for a start. well yeah visually literally i i think i'd know what it looked like but other, other beyond that <laughs> Chuck in a few dead dead pixels and you'll understand how it would look. <laughs> uh, <laughs> take that, Zach. 
so yeah, I the hunt. See, I have been dreading talking about this because I'm like, how do I say? How do I verbalize that I enjoyed a movie about a guy accused of being a pedophile? How do I? But isn't? How do you verbally verbalize that, Bartek? Could you try for me? Well, you got a bunch of adjectives you can use. You can use like compelling, effective, uh, realistic, successful. Yeah, but stop reading the poster quotes. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. Look, this this is a this is a I was gonna say mission. This is a movie that had a mission, and it fulfilled that mission. It wanted to show what it's going to be like for someone that is falsely accused to go through something like this. Because, look, this, in real life, we do also have issues of sexual abuse and accusations and people who, you know, whether they're innocent or they're guilty, they will try to defend themselves. And we, as a general public, will not know if it is, you know, true or if it is a lie. Um, mm. and we, we have certain values that make us lean one way or the other. And this film is giving us an unambiguous, uh, look at the truth, which is this guy is innocent. You know, it's, it's not like a mystery. There's not like going to be a twist or anything like that. This guy is innocent. Therefore, you can look at this film from the lens of like, this is an innocent man going through all these accusations. And, you know, there's no, there are little bits of light throughout the film, but at the end of the day, it's not a hundred percent fixed. And in fact, it could be much worse than, you know, how it ends. What do you get out of this movie? Like, what's your, what's your, what's your takeaway here? What, what vantage point do you come at it from? Um, I guess really big thing is that I just don't think I've seen anything quite like it because this is a really, you know, sensitive topic, child abuse. Um, and certainly in the past, you know, decade and a bit, um, even going beyond child abuse, we have had so many, um, you know, instances of sexual abuse, sexual harassment, things like that. And like I was saying before, things, um, there, there is a, culture to how we as a general population respond to that um which this film i guess in a way doesn't so much reflect because it is a thing where if this was in real life we would be kind of with most character sides you know accusing this guy thinking that he's trouble being really wary of him um and so because this is such an unambiguous thing it it, it is confronting because it is Mm. Yeah, it, it's 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 making you side with someone who, in real life, the circumstances would probably have you be biased against. Well, how does? Yeah, I agree. That's 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 the thing that is the the masterstroke of the film is it effectively makes you side with a character that you wouldn't in real life side with if you were in the shoes of the fellow townspeople. I would not be big enough to be his friend who does side with him. And the film does not manipulate us overtly uh, to, to, to too strong of a degree, it still does, of making you like him so much before this happens. He's not the most miraculous 
he's not Jimmy Stewart, right? Like he's not the biggest, nicest guy ever. He's got some mm-hmm. marital issues. He's trying to get his son back into his life. He's doing this teaching job because he has to. It's not as if it's his passion. It's he 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 was a high school teacher at one point or a primary school teacher. I don't know if that was Clara. No, he was a high school teacher. Clara's um, brother, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just remembering Clara's brother. Uh, but that you know, the school shut down and he got lost his job and now he's fallen back to here. So he does have some things there that are uh, like that, but he's not like he's saving puppies and you know, doing all of these heroic typical cliched manipulating us to know that he's a nice man it's not like star trek discovery where they say you're a good person over and (laughs) over and over again to let us know that he's a good man he does have some factors to him that make him a human Uh, i think when it comes to manipulation that annoyed me is he has a dog that's very cute and look at his dog and he loves dog dog he hey he's a little bit awkward around women because he loves his dog so much and i'm just like we know that you're <laughs> gonna kill the dog for fuck's sake yeah <laughs> um but that was uh well established so that way when the bad shit does happen to him you are on his side and there was never that moment either of um at least for myself where when the shit started to go bad for him and he started to do uh actions that were outside of the norm for his character there was never that one action where i called bullshit on it there was never that moment in which he did something that was so extreme to isolate himself off or his anger took over to a degree where where it made me uh not agree with his character which was seen happen so many times in movies the closest moment is when he throws the girl out of his house right mm-hmm. but yeah. You buy it because she's basically standing there being like, hey, I love you, but I also may think you're a pedophile. And so you he reacts in a way that I found understandable. Throughout the whole movie, he reacted to things in a very understandable manner, whilst also you can tell that these were outside of the norms for who he is as an individual. Not just the situation of being accused of being a pedophile, but the way he's reacting. Like, when he goes to the shopping center and he, they're trying to throw him out and he resorts to violence. You know that isn't in his nature, but it is what he has to do. He has to stand his ground at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a real strong uh, struggle when watching this, though, of trying to figure out, like, what is the movie trying to trying to enforce upon me, and what's the message here? Of, like, am I supposed to look at this as a tale of an innocent? I always struggle with movies or stories of an innocent person, a good person just going through tragedy for the sake of it. Uh, hence, I'm not really into old fables as much either. Uh, and this movie definitely falls into that category where I had a struggle of, like, this guy's suffering so much, but what did he do wrong? He did nothing wrong. And I'm like, yeah, but he's suffering. And there's that thing of trying to wrap your brain around, like, that in a movie's context of, like, is, what's the movie this, trying to bestow? Is this an analogy of like the book of Job where, you know, Job just suffers just so God can be like, see, and he still believes in me? Yeah. And yeah, it was that thing of, is this cruelty for cruelty's sake? Is this suffering for suffering's sake? Uh, And then I realized there comes a point in the movie where uh, Lucas isn't in the movie for little bits of it. We get perspectives on his son. We get perspectives on uh, the staff members. We get perspectives of the actual family. 
that uh, the daughter is from, that's the accuser. And there are little moments like that throughout that reminded me, oh, wait, wait, it's not just Lucas's story. It's about the effect of this one lie has on many people, the consequences of this and how everyone reacts to it. And it's making me question how I would react to it and to look at the people like the family and think, how would I be? Which one would I be? And is their absolute hatred and reaction to this event uh, warranted when there's actually no evidence at stake? And it then makes you again question, how would you be? Would you go to the mob mentality when there's actually no evidence of any wrongdoing? Yeah, that's pretty spot on. I always thought of it as like a, you know, question yourself when watching this film try to put yourself in the shoes of you know everyone how how they feel how you'd feel um and ultimately at the end of the day you know just like know try to understand yourself know what your biases are and you know that this is the case too because those big important scenes that if any in any other movie they would be there are removed there's no scene where we see him get like we don't see him getting arrested from his perspective, right? We don't see him in the interrogation room with the police or calling up his lawyer or any of that stuff. That's not what the importance of this story is about in this case. The perspective is looking at it from a, a, a little bit of a removed way from our main character. We get a lot of interiority of him, of course, and we see a lot of the events, but would you agree there's, a, there's also a level of separation and detachment from Lucas in this story? There is, yeah. There's a lot of scenes where Lucas is alone and he doesn't narrate to himself. It's up to the audience to, you know, watch him, see what's happening and, you know, think about what might be going through his head. So, like, an example is in the church scene near the end, um, he does not talk for quite a few minutes because it, it, we're just focusing on, like, where he's looking, how he reacts to things, and his constant looking back at his former best friend. Um and you feel like there is a sort of connection happening there, at least at least for me. There was a connection happening between him and the best friend, which ultimately there is. Um, but the best friend is constantly, like, you know, chatting to his wife and we can't hear what's being said. Um, but that was kind of not what I was focusing on when I was watching the scene, the, the thing of him talking to his wife. So eventually when Lucas snaps and that thing of talking to the wife was bothering him, that that did kind of surprise me. It did kind of detach me from there because, like, oh, oh, I thought something good was happening, but from Lucas's perspective, you know, the paranoia was clearly getting to him. Yeah, he was breaking down. That's. I was going to mention the church scene. Uh, that scene is earned so strongly because, uh, again, this is the foreign director sensibility. This movie, until that scene really didn't have the big Oscar scene, you know? The big mm-hmm. Oscar Beatty, I'm defending myself, blah, blah, blah. You had very quiet, somber... I was blown out. I was completely taken aback. I completely forgot that when he, when Lucas first goes to their house after the accusations have finally hit, mm-hmm. the, his best friend just opens up the door, and I forgot that there wasn't an instant anger there, that he was kind of sad, and he was just like, come in, man. Like, he was still treating him like a friend, but a friend that uh, he has to come to terms with that won't be in his life anymore. Yeah, when that scene started, I'm like, oh yeah, there was a scene like this. 
and then the wife comes in and then Clark and then it explodes into everything but that in itself it was so indicative of the authenticity of this movie because if this was a more scripty hollywoody uh filmy film that would have been a such a heightened scene and would have gone to such different extremes and you would have seen it in the Oscar bait clips and stuff like that. And the film withheld it, withheld us from those moments. And those moments are always still satisfying. The church scene is very satisfying. But if the film was filled with many of those church scene moments, then it would lose the specialness that is actually here that we actually do have in this uh, and that uh, that I particularly enjoy. One of the questions I want to ask upon you is: you may not know, but the director of this film is a part was a part of the uh, dogma staple with Lars von Trier, and so they were these filmmakers. They had all of these rules, and basically they were provocateurs in a lot of ways, uh, shocking for shockingness' sake. And I, I don't know if you've watched many Lars von Trier movies, but I, I, I know that you are aware of Lars von Trier at least. I've heard the name. Yeah, I'd need to be he's, you know, refreshed he's, on what he does. Yeah, he's very much like does controversial films, and people have made the debate of, especially with him, of. Uh, what is art or what is just shock value? And how if with this movie, the big part of it is the shock value of the premise and of the pitch of it, but how does this film to you, if it does, rise above just being a shock value movie? I don't know. I guess when I think of a shock value movie, I do think of something a bit more... Uh, I don't know what's the word for this bombastic. A bit more like th- there are moments where you're like, oh yeah, that was a that was a shock moment there. There was like a sudden thing. Um, you know, maybe a bit more like the moment where the brick is thrown through the window and like the the sound editing makes it really loud and powerful. Yeah, when they um, kill the dog, and when they kill the dog, things like that. I I didn't really think of it as a shock value movie, so that question kind of throws me off a little bit. But you, it, but you have to admit it's just the like premise pre- itself lends itself to the shock value nature of the entire endeavor. You are drawn in and lured in by the shock value nature of the plot. The plot is not a conventional plot. I agree. I just think like I would use different words than shock value, and like I would associate shock value a bit more with like you know big twists, things like that. Like I feel this film is very provocative. It's uncomfortable. It it makes you think about serious things, um, but uh, the, the, so like describing it as just shock value just feels a bit different to me. And I don't um, think this film is that. I think it rises above that. Uh, Lars von Trier suffers this issue a lot. Of it respects its characters, themes, and arcs over that of audience uh, interaction. A lot of these. European films, like the dogma films, were very much made with how this will provoke the audience, how this would manip- affect the audience. And although this is a very shocking idea and a very confronting one, I felt like the filmmaker and the storytelling were more focused on the actual characters and the themes of the story rather than how I was reacting to it. Okay, I think I understand what you're saying now, yeah. 
And I think that's why it rises above just being a provocateur's uh, venture out to make me shocked and gasp and go, oh my god, or to just overwhelm me. Uh, because I think it cares so much about all of its characters. There was a point where uh, the son came into the movie, and I was a little bit snooty. I was just like, I don't give a shit about his son. Why are we not focusing on Lucas? But after a certain point, I really cared about his son, Marcus. Mm. And I wanted him to stay around and help his dad, but then, you know, he has to go after a certain point. But I... I became deeply invested in these characters, like the film does. It really does feel like the film will have a little detour to be like, you thought we were vilifying this character, you thought that we were being uh, mean, or or uh, or even um, not showing this character enough. But then it will have a little moment where it changes that around, especially his best friend. Right? I didn't know how to read. I was about to bring him up. Yeah, he um. <laughs> He does feel a bit like uh, not so much an emotionally sensitive guy. You know, at the beginning, he's getting into fights. Um, he, he feels like in another story, he might be a sort of like dumb or clueless best friend. But in this film, his daughter is, you know, patient zero of the whole abuse scandal. Um, he has to, you know, he has to act more sensitive as a parent. He has to... Uh, confront the whole notion of does he trust his very best friend in the whole world or his daughter who he does not think is a liar um he has that insight thing of because he's the best friend he can see when lucas is lying just by looking in his eyes um he has to confront the fact that he may have been wrong and because he is so close to the guy who is you know in trouble here um he'll have a stronger sense of guilt about turning on him than other characters and you know, then there's a responsibility of how he has acted or not reacted throughout the course of events. To admit that you're wrong is also a very tough thing to do because you still do hold, you still have accountability for your inactions as well as actions. There was a nice little touch that uh, Rachel pointed out that was very neat of uh, when uh, Marcus rocked up to their house. Uh, the day that uh, Mads Mikkelsen got arrested in the film, uh, and he wanted keys. All of the other families were there, and they were, like, having a party, and Rachel was just like, isn't it nice that they're having, like, a party to celebrate that the guy got arrested? Because that's what they were doing. It doesn't comment on that, but that was the vibe of the thing to me, and to Rachel as well. Yeah, it might have been. Because this was was still before Christmas. Yeah. Um, or around that period of time, but they were all celebrating something, and it just coincidentally was the day that he got he officially got arrested, and they all knew about it. That was a thing, like, oh, we heard that your dad, they they took him in, and all of that. And I thought that little touches like that of, even though his best friend's a good man, he's a part of this community of people who are treating him harshly, treating Lucas harshly. And there's also the scene of the the supermarket scene where you get the friend and the wife and the daughter and they sit in the car watching, you know, Lucas all bloodied, stumbling out, and, uh, you know, he wants to go and help him, but the wife convinces him, no, no, let him go. Mm. Yeah, and, and jumping back to the very beginning of the film, the the whole sequence in which he has not been accused yet, nothing's gone wrong yet, you see him as part of this community, especially of the the men, and it does feel like a very... 
<laughs> very kind of broy community. You know, they they love drinking. They love being really loud, hunting, sitting around the table, hunting. Um, they have their little you know in jokes of like, oh, you called a woman, that means you have to drink, things like that. It, it does feel you know very broy and like you know, oh, the you you kind of know a lot of the the tropes and cliches of that. You know, these characters aren't going to be you know so deeply characterized and things like that. So when the when the turn does happen. And those kind of characters become deadly serious. You know, there's, there are bits where they beat him up. There are bit, bit, bits where they beat up the sun. It is this kind of, you know, powerful contrast. And like you said, this isn't just from Lucas and his son's perspective. You do see everyone's perspectives. You see, you know, the, the parent teacher conference thing. You see the party. Um, yeah. And you even see bits at the end where they're, interacting with lucas still but there's 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 a clear difference from the beginning of the film to just shaking his hand and saying hello yeah i think uh something that i'm happy to talk about don't know how you feel one of the primal uh primal fears that this film touches upon for me as a guy is the false accusation of sexual wrongdoing uh, you know, I don't know if that was something that was very at the forefront of your mind as a male, as a guy watching that. That is one of the fears of life in a way because of how terrible uh, <laughs> men have been uh, very much so. And uh, I wonder what it was like for you now actually being a teacher to watch that play out, but also to see how the fellow teaching community handled the situation. What was it like for you? I remember the first time I watched it, that was a really powerful thing of like, oh man, if you know, this, this is, this could happen to any man. If, if how would, how would a real man react to this kind of situation? Again, remembering the unambiguous fact that of innocence. Um, and it was always just this thing of like, oh yeah, you gotta, you gotta always investigate. You gotta always, uh, find the truth kind of thing. Um, but then obviously in real life, the, the culture of, you know, the, these sexual wrongdoings and accusations and things like that, there is a culture of not believing in the accused and for, you know, very, very sensitive reasons that are understandable, but also it's like, but if you do get it wrong, it's wrong. It's, 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 it's very tough. Um, and yeah, from my perspective as now a teacher, as someone who, yeah, when I first watched this film, I don't even think we were friends yet. So we were still in the drama course. I hadn't started any of my teaching training. Now I have a f- much better understanding of, you know, there's, there's mandatory reporting laws. Um, so to some extent, the very first few actions taken were good, but then you started seeing things being done wrong and then the film happened. So the first thing that happened was the the principal or the lady in charge recognized that something was wrong. That's good. She took some step. She realized that she needed to take some steps to investigate. That's good. But then the man she hired, who, whoever he was, um, he did not ask questions properly. And, and again, I know I'm talking about this from an Australian teaching perspective, but mm. I would I would think that there is some sort of mutual understanding about how to to ask questions of a child about something of this serious of a nature um 
and yeah, the, the, the way he handled those questions, they were wrong. Mm. Um, and that just led into, you know, all of the following reactions. Yeah. And it, it's just like, you see at the root what went wrong. Um, but you have to remember that Lucas doesn't. Mm. And, and to an extent, to an extent, we don't see a lot of the reactions either. I'd forgotten the fact that like a lot of the, uh, like all of the other children were also, um, apparently came up with accusations so it gives you this idea of like oh the 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 symptoms or the the signs that were presented in that one parent teacher conference like oh look out for bedwetting look out for nightmares these are all things that aren't all that aren't exclusive to sexual abuse so you can imagine that a lot of scenes very similar to that first interview of like did he show you his willy did something white come out you can imagine a lot of those scenes were happening behind the scenes and that's how things got much worse than they were. Yeah, there were lots of things where you go, you could have handled that better. One of the things too, the film does do is to remind you that this is a small, like this is a community, this is a town that's very strong community, is different to the city where you would immediately phone the cops. There's this sense of let's keep this between us and then it will explode outwards. Uh, I, I having raised in a small country town, I can attest to that attitude very strongly as well. Where you would question, like, wouldn't they, like, n- do these steps? No, not necessarily. Uh, like, why did they bring that guy in? Because they wanted to keep it contained in some way before bringing the authorities in. Even though the guy's like, you should probably bring the authorities in straight away, actually. And send him home. That was the thing that drove me up the wall when she was like, oh, Lucas, I-, I just told you that you've been accused of being a pedophile, but you could still work the rest of the day. That was a little bit too unbelievable for my taste. I don't know if you thought that either. Um, um I feel like the fact that at first that lady didn't really know what to think, I kind of bought it um, because... Yeah, yeah, she, she, I mean, her big point throughout that scene and the next like two scenes after that is that she doesn't know how to handle a lot of this. So whether it's that she believed Lucas or she just like didn't know what to do and just said the first thing that came to her mind, you know, I, I at least bought that decision, mm-hmm. but it was a thing of like, oh, in, in another situation, I suppose maybe in a more city setting, it would have been a bit more blunt of like, no, you need to go home. Yeah. I, I have some issues with the movie that holds it back for me. Uh, I do not care for the killing of the dog, not because I'm weak to it, but because it was, at least for me, all the dog existed for was to be killed and to set up that Clara has a relationship with Lucas because Clara likes likes the dog. Um, I'm not weak to dogs being murdered in movies, but I felt very annoyed throughout the whole entire film that they kept drawing emphasis on this dog because you just know that they're going to kill the dog and it lost its shock value. It's you know I've seen it so many times in movies. I've seen it so many times that it has lost the impact that it's there to do in the script, that things are serious now because they killed the dog. Uh, not a fan of that at all i found that very aggravating yeah my two things in response to that are like the brick throwing through the window that happened immediately before was a lot more powerful yes um and also when the dog was killed and they were walking away 
because of what the film felt like to me, because of what I understood of the film and of the characters and how everyone feels, my immediate thought was like, oh man, whoever that killed that dog is like probably going to feel really bad because they're going to realize that like this doesn't do anything. Like it, it was a disconnect for me there. Like I feel like no one in this film would feel triumphant about killing that dog. It was a bit off to me. Yeah, another issue I had was I did not think we needed title cards or text to describe how much time has passed or what month we're in or that it's Christmas. Um, that threw me off every time I found it very uh, ham-fisted. Uh, how do you feel about that? Um, I could go either way on it, because um, obviously there are contextual clues of like, oh, Christmas Eve, now he's going to church for, you know, they sing Christmas carols, um, and then a year later, they have their annual hunt, so you can tell that a lot of time has passed. Um, yeah, I, I could have gone either way, but really, they didn't bother me that much. There was just a moment where it was like, December, and I'm like, okay, rightio, December, I thought you could have shown that with what you're already doing, which was the snow, the Christmas stuff hanging about the place, and then then it was like, and Christmas Eve, I'm like, I, I kind of could gather that, and it didn't even really 100% matter that it was Christmas Eve, necessarily, but then the year later one is the big one that was like, okay, this I, I get, but it was a little bit of a disconnect there with me. And I've heard other people talk about this as a as a negative. It didn't affect me as strongly, but for a film that was so dedicated to getting into the nitty gritty little details, to then suddenly fast forward during an entire portion of story in which the town kind of reconciled with him. And I guess it's a part of you're shown that in a way where his best friend gives him the Christmas food and they sit down and have a conversation. I think I would have just liked to see that conversation play out a bit more. It kind of cuts off before you felt like it really got going for me. And yeah, then it was it cuts... one of those... Go on. Sorry. I, I was just going to say, it's one of those things where you know the general gist of what the conversation is going to be, but because mm. this is, you know, a film with actors, we kind of wanted to see it play out. Yeah, especially with two very strong actors who were really delivering it. I would have liked to have seen that conversation. So that way I could buy the transition a year later a little bit more because we've been shown in a conversation between these two, the reconciliation start to take place a bit more firmly. Uh, and then the end. I love the ending. Apparently this there's an alternative ending to this on the Blu-ray or something that I don't like, but uh, I don't know if you read that information or not, but uh, I like this ending. Yeah, yeah, I did read about the alternate ending where he gets shot instead. Um, and I, I agree, this one is much better because... It shows you that even though a lot of people have come to his side, maybe reconciled with him, uh, uh, it doesn't mean that everyone has, and it probably just means that the ones who are harder to detect, the ones that you don't know so well, are probably the ones that will be a lot more violent. So, you know, they, the, whoever shot him at the end could have been the same person that killed the dog or, or threw the brick through the window, you know? That doesn't seem like someone who's ever going to reconcile with him. No, and it's showing that even though we know he's innocent, people will never think he is, and that this is a stain that will last forever. 
and it's a fun movie. Would recommend. 10 out of 10. Had a great time. Watch it with your family. You watch this with your mum. I, I, we should talk about that. You saw this in the cinema with your mother and she liked it. What's it like to see movies like this in the cinema with your mum? Um, she's very much open with films that, that are, that have powerful feelings. So the, 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 um, the response I had to it the first time was pretty much, you know, identical to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just can't imagine sitting down and watching this with my mum. Yeah. I, I mean, yet again, my <laughs> mum and I and my dad watched some pretty gnarly movies. So it's not that strange. If you were. If you were to watch it with your parents, would you be the one that takes them to see it? Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think I'm a bit more into uh, foreign films than they are. They just don't have the uh, opportunities to see them as easily as I do. But uh, I reckon they may enjoy this. The last thing I want to talk about before we properly wrap this out is uh, just that central performance. How did he not get the Oscar? Yeah, did he... I can't imagine he got nominated either. I don't know. Sometimes they nominate these actors for stuff. But, you know, he was great. Uh, Again, I said at the start, but it's very hard for me to get over the fact that he's playing a normal guy. It was a bit of an experience watching it again because now he's played more, even more abstract characters. Like he was in Death Stranding and he's... He's in the West, you know, in the America side of things, he's very much cornered the market on playing like weirdo European man. So to see him here as just like the average guy, just there was a minor disconnect there. (laughs) Average European man in Europe. Yeah, average European man being European in Europe. Uh, Anything else you want to say to wrap this out? Um... No, I don't think so. This is a film where maybe for some people they might look at the the whole thing, like the dog getting killed and the brick being thrown through the window and the shooting at the end and think like, oh, it's a mystery of like, who is that person? But I th- I think the point is that, yeah, we don't know. And that's, and even Lucas wouldn't know who that is. Mm. Well, that's it, people. Uh, it's my turn for recommendation next, if I am not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna no, I'm gonna you. mix it up a bit, Bartek. I'm gonna give you a choice here of Okay. Do you want a film that is light and fun to move away from the darkness of this of the hunt, or do you want a dark film that is like a follow like you follow this up with? which are you feeling, lightness or darkness? Hmm. I feel like for the sake of the listening people, I should pick the light one, but for myself personally, I'd want to go with the dark one. So dark it is. I knew you were going to be a dark boy. I am going to suggest a film with Olivia Coleman called Tyrannosaur. It is a drama uh, that is very, very full on, is how I would describe it. Uh, Imagine, Bartek, you've never heard of this film? I don't know if I have. We'll see. Uh, my one thing to say to you, Bartek, mm-hmm. is maybe find one with subtitles because our lead character has a very thick northern English accent. Uh, That's yeah. all I'll say to you. I, th- I think you I have know. a little bit more trouble with that. I think I know what accent you're talking about. Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll prepare. So keep that in mind. But yes, people, Tyrannosaur will be the next one uh, on the Pictures Powwow show. Uh, Bartek, where can people find us on the internet? 
You can find us on the internet at various places. We have a Facebook page, Spin and Polish Presents. We have a Twitter page, also Spin and Polish Presents. Uh, we've got a YouTube channel. You can comment the message us there. Um, our episodes are on quite a lot of the platforms. As Ryan says, all of the podcatchers, the usual suspects, Podbean, iTunes, or Apple Podcasts, Google Plays, Spotify. Um, and you can contact us directly at our Gmail address, which is spitandpolished at gmail.com. Yes, there we go. Well, Bartek, I think it's time to finish this off. It's been great chatting with you. We've come out of the darkness that is the hunt to only go on pause until we enter the darkness of Tyrannosaur. Um, I usually like to do some goofy kind of send-off, but this has been like a very like heavy episode. So I'm just going to say it's been great talking to you. Oh, you don't want to make a joke about, like, touching kids or anything? 